Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Joining with us today, we're in the uh, end of a message series entitled Finish. And over the last few weeks, um, we've been talking about uh, ways that we can maybe keep those resolutions, keep those promises to God uh, that we've said, you know, I want to grow in my spiritual life. I want to grow as a man or as a woman, as a dad or as a mom. And we set different resolutions or we set different goals. And 2018 is going to be a different year than 2017. Um, And so we've been talking every week about ways and strategies in which we could uh, make sure that we accomplish those goals. And today is no different. We're going to wrap up this series. And uh, if, if you like history, um, you're probably going to like today. Um, if you hate history, I'll wake you up when, when we get past history and then that way you can kind of pay attention. Um, but in order to kick this message off, uh, because it's a very simple message about a guy by the name of Paul, is going to do something radical in history. And I'm going to show you right in the Bible where a shift in history that affects you and me even today happened. Um, And the shift really is a mentality that goes from, all right, there is authority or there is information that comes from a singular source and that we as the masses receive the information from a singular source and apply it to our lives. And Paul is going to do something to change that format forever through history. In order to launch this off, back in 2001, in January of 2001, um, there was a, a, a company that formed. And they had the vision and the foresight to say this, you know, all along we've gotten our historical information from things like encyclopedias. And encyclopedias are, they have experts who write on specific scientific or historical facts and figures. They put them into a bunch of books and they distribute them to the masses. How many of you remember having your set of Encyclopedia Britannica sets? If you're under the age of 30, you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. But this company in 2001 said, you know, we think that there's a better way to distribute information. We actually think that if we collaborate together, that if we actually reach out and allow not just one scholar or two scholars to write, but if we allow hundreds of experts, scholars with different experiences and knowledge to write into a subject and share knowledge, that we in society and the world will be much better off. And so in 2001, there was an organization called Wikipedia that was founded. Now, If you're a teacher in this room, what's the first thing that you say to students about Wikipedia? You cannot use Wikipedia as a reference or a source because you can't trust it. Well, it's interesting. I was a teacher member before this, so I said that same thing. But in 2005, there was an article written by Nature Magazine, and it basically wanted to do a report on what would happen if we compared the Encyclopedia Britannica and Wikipedia. And here's what they said. I want to go here. The exercise revealed that numerous errors in both encyclopedias, but among 42 entries tested, the difference in accuracy was not particularly great. The average science entry in Wikipedia contained around four inaccuracies, in Britannica, about three. And so this was groundbreaking for a couple different reasons, because everyone at that time thought for sure, well, Wikipedia is going to be a mess. They can't police it. 
People are going to put weird facts and figures. They're going to have so many errors in it that you just won't even go to it. In fact, many individuals thought Wikipedia would die off after a couple of years. But instead, they actually were astounded at the fact of how closely they were aligned. Now, the good news is that for teachers in this room, no, I'm not saying that we should trust Wikipedia 100% for referencing and sourcing. Uh, so students, sorry, you're not going to be able to do this. However, what I am saying is what was founded in 2005 and today, actually, if you look and you Google it, you can Google it if you want, they continue to debate whether it's authoritative scholarly information or collaborative, which is better and which would provide more insight. And the Apostle Paul that we're going to open up in the Bible today is actually going to speak to collaborative learning. And actually, he's one of the first in history to actually promote it. And I'm going to show you exactly where. So if you're new to the Bible, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to one letter that Paul wrote. Paul wrote a bunch of letters. And by the way, those letters are in the Bible today. And it's in 2 Timothy. And so Paul writes a letter and he's writing it to Timothy. Timothy's someone that he's pouring into. And he's going to make a statement to Timothy that's going to give us great insight in history about what's happening. I don't want you to turn to this book. I'm going to show it to you on the screen. We're going to anchor somewhere else for our message. So Let's start in 2 Timothy, and I want to show you exactly what happens. Take a look at this. He says this. Paul says, hey, Timothy, when you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas, but also bring my books and especially my papers. Now, pause. If you've ever read the Bible, you've probably read this sometimes, and you've never thought twice about that statement. However, let me explain this statement to you. The first thing that Paul says, hey, Timothy, when you come to see me, here's one of the first things I want you to do. I want you to go get the scrolls, which were books. That word books he uses is actually the term in the original language, biblia. Biblia doesn't mean book. It means scrolls. So Paul was saying, I want you to bring the scrolls that have the historical scriptural law writing on them. In other words, the formation of the Bible, I want you to bring that with you. Now, here's something you need to know in history. It was not easy to transport scrolls. In fact, many organizations, there weren't a lot of them. And when they did have them, they were written down and they were put in cisterns for protection from the elements. And so you really, really had a hard time transporting the scrolls for fear that they would be lost or that they would be damaged. So first and foremost, the scrolls, there weren't a lot of them. And so individuals went to people with authority who had scrolls to learn from them, like Paul, about what God really says. But he says to Timothy, bring those but bring my papers. In the original language, the word papers is codis. The word codis actually means books. And so what Paul was doing, and a lot of historians have documented this, Paul began writing his letters on different papyrus parchments. And these parchments he would write down and he would stitch together and they would form books. Interesting fact to know this. Paul did that because he wanted them to be protected. He wanted them easily transported to the masses of Christianity. But more importantly, like we spoke about at the beginning of the message, he saw and envisioned and wanted the churches to be able to have their hands on God's word and the truth. So therefore there could be collaboration among the churches, collaboration among the body, so that those that had the ability to read and to understand could grasp it as opposed to we only have Paul and we have to go to Paul. 
Paul knew he was at the end. Paul knew he was about to die. And so he wanted to make a way for the information to be able to brought out to the masses. Now, if you love history, here's the interesting thing. Did you know that Christianity in history, the Christians were one of the first to build shelves for their books. They were one of the first to be able to distribute books and create books. Did you know that the Romans and the Greeks, this was first century, the Romans and the Greeks would not adopt books until the third and the fourth century. So here's Paul all the way in history beginning to start changing the minds and the concepts and the thoughts of individuals to transporting God's word so that the masses could have them even greater. Now we're going to anchor here in a letter called 2 Corinthians. Now if you fell asleep, wake up. I'm done with a lot of the history stuff. Just pay attention. So Paul is right now, he's going to be going in and he's going to be talking to a church in Corinth. It's a city. And he's going to be challenging them. And he's about to flip a switch which affects you and I, with, which relates to Christianity today. So here we go. I hope you're buckled in. It's going to be, hopefully, hopefully you pay really close attention. There's a lot of good stuff in here. Here we go. Take a look. He says this. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Pause. This was groundbreaking because Paul usually would address his letters and he would say, hey, I have some things as the scholarly author knowing of scripture that I want to tell you and you as the church need to listen to me because you're not doing the right thing. So on the authority of the scrolls, I'm writing to you to change your thinking. But all of a sudden he flips a switch and he says this, hey, I want to address you, but I want to draw your attention to another church in Macedonia. Very different. It's like, well, wait a second, Paul, don't you have something to say? No, no, no. I want to show you what the other brothers and sisters are doing so you can learn collaboratively from them. Take a look at this. They are being tested by many troubles. They're very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. Paul writes to Corinth and says, hey, church in Corinth, I'm going to stop talking because I've talked a lot. Now, I want you to focus on another city, another church, other believers in Christ, and I want you to learn from their example. I want you to hear what they're doing so it inspires you and it tests your faith and you will grow in and from it. Let me illustrate this another way. What Paul was trying to do in this moment was to remind you and me as a believer in Christ that church, the body of Christ, is much greater than me coming to church hearing from a pastor saying, you know what, God, this is what I'm going to do in my life with the word that you gave me today. Thank you because it's all about me and this is what I'm focused on and I'm going to go into my week and I'm, I'm going to change myself. Now that's important. But what Paul was trying to do to say this, Terry, do you understand that God has given you influence as a man of God? Do you understand that you're probably going to meet about 30, 40, or 50 people, rub shoulders, elbows? Do you understand what opportunity you have this week to affect someone's life if you just pause and think outside of yourself for just a second? Now, here's the truth. There are some of us in this room that are very selfish. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't do that. That wouldn't be nice. Husbands, careful, careful. 
There are some of you that are extremely generous. Your personalities allow you to think outwardly. But what Paul was trying to say is in our lives, we have to begin broadening our scope. Illustrate this this way. I feel as if sometimes, I'll take myself for consideration, that my Christianity at times is like living a life with blinders. And so I sit here, and when I come to church, I have such blinders on that whenever I hear something that strikes me, I don't think about my circle. I don't think about my family. I don't think about those in the community. I think about myself. And we walk around as Christians, and I'm not going to go very far because I'll fall off the stage, but we walk around as Christians, and we have blinders on, and we say, yes, praise God. But meanwhile, Paul is saying, Terry, you've got a bag on your head. Terry, you you are missing the great point about what the church is. The church is not a building. The church are the people. That's plural. It's not you. It's others. And together, we need to do something amazing. But many of us walk around with a bag on our head. And because of it, we don't grow. There are many of us in business that we go to business meetings and we don't take the time to learn from someone else. And so we walk in with a a strict set of knowledge that doesn't expand because we don't read books. We don't look to learn from others. And we go into meetings thinking we know it all because I've got all the knowledge in the world. And Paul is saying, no, you're walking with a bag on your head if you do this. And if I don't take this off, I'm going to hyperventilate because it's really hot here. So... With that being said, I look silly up here. And I'm thankful that y'all didn't get up and leave while I had the bag on my head because I couldn't see anything. But that's what we do. And Paul says, as Christians, you don't have the luxury. And in fact, I, as an authority of the gospel, say that's not what God wants. So you've got to take the bags off your head. And you have to remember that beyond you, there is the body of Christ that you effect. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you want to be the church, you must move from me to we. If you want to be the church globally, if you want to be the church nationally, if you want to be the church in the Grand Strand, or if you want to be the church ocean view, you have to move from me to we. Which means that in our lives on a weekly basis, we actually think about others. That we actually think about how I, in this room, can encourage someone else or pour into someone else. If you're over the age of 50 in this room, what Paul is saying, as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, if you're not looking at the younger generation in this room, yes, this room, if you're not looking around the room at a 30-year-old, a 20-year-old, and if you're not saying, I would love the opportunity to take what God has taught me and pour into them. If you're not doing that, then you have a bag on your head because you're missing how much influence and scope that God's given you. So he's trying to flip the switch for our church and other churches. Watch what he says. Continue on. I'm not saying this to condemn you. Now, because I know a lot of you in this room are saying, oh gosh, you know, I'm having a hard enough time on myself. And now you're telling me I got to think about others. I mean, really, Terry, come on. And Paul right away says, look, I'm, I'm not trying to condemn you. I said before that you are in our hearts and we live or die together with you. Let me illustrate this one other way. If you've ever been to Northern California, you've seen the great redwood trees 
or you've heard about them. In fact, you can look on the screen. These great redwoods, they're huge. And if I were to sit there and tell you, hey, what kind of tree would you love to stand in the face of wind and a storm? Some of you would say, oh man, give me that big redwood tree, plant it down, it ain't going anywhere. That thing's bigger than a car. That's going to withstand. You know what the truth of it is? That's the worst decision you could ever make. Because if you don't know about redwoods is if you have a singular redwood standing by itself, it doesn't take much wind or force at all to knock it over. Do you want to know why? If you look at this picture, look at its root system. All of its roots are near the top of the ground. And if a redwood was by itself, you could easily force the redwood over because it doesn't have much root system. However, why do redwoods stand so tall? is because if you go to the redwood forest, they're side by side. They're multiples together. And so together, the redwoods stand tall. They will not blow over because their root systems interlock. Their foundations interlock. Just like Paul is saying to the church, if you want to finish this year, and if you really want to do something amazing, you have to do it together. Alone, you'll fall over. Together, you will succeed. So Paul continues on. He says this, so... We have urged Titus to encourage your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this. Don't miss this but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know your generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Watch what Paul says to you and me. He says, look, I'm not trying to, con- I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But what I am trying to do is to flip your thinking. And let me pause, let me bring it into this room. If you're not a Christian, I want you to watch. If you're watching online and you're not a part of our church, if you're a part of a church and you're tuning in, I want you to think of your church. This is Ocean View Baptist Church. This is one service of three. We have a lot of people that come to our church and you are in this room, you're the church. And what Paul's trying to get you to do is it's not you walking into this room sitting by yourself. That's not the church. And so what he's saying is there are some gifted speakers. In fact, I can look in this room and I can see some incredible speakers. I can see some incredible teachers. I see individuals with great ability to be able to inspire others with what God's doing in their lives. And what Paul is saying to you sitting there is, don't waste your influence. You have a responsibility in the body. And what I'm saying to you is, is you need to be looking around in this room into others and you need to begin to pour into them because together you can finish. Let me make it practical. Some of you have said, I want to grow in my relationship with God. Terry, every day I want to grow. I'm a young father, I'm a young husband or a young mom and I want to grow in my relationship with God. And every January you start. And right about now, how you doing? And you're trying on your own and you keep falling. And you're like that redwood by itself. And what Paul is saying is you need to look around here. And if you're on the other edge, you need to look around here. And you need to connect together. And you need to encourage one another. 
And if you and two others say, hey, we all want to do this, let's hold each other accountable and let's do this together. I'm not smarter than you. You're not smarter than me. We're going to learn collaboratively together and we're going to grow together. And just if you started doing that, you would see God do incredible things. I say this because there's a term used that says that vision leaks, that when you cast vision, you cast it once, it goes through, it catches a couple people, and then it falls through the cracks. So you have to cast vision again and again and again. Here in our church, here's our mission. It's born out of the great commission. Take a look at this. Our mission, we're here to help people to follow Jesus. Our mission is we want to be helping people to follow Jesus. And so here's my question, church. Tomorrow, how are you going to help people follow Jesus? How are you going to help those on your path? How are you going to help your family? How are you going to be on mission? We say our strategy is up, in, and out. Up. How are you doing in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ? How are you helping others, inspiring them by your attitudes and your actions towards Christ? How are you doing? We say inwardly, which Paul speaks of today. Inwardly, we need to come together so we can do more together. And then outwardly, we say that we're going to influence others. At 7 o'clock in the morning, our staff gathers on this stage. And we talk about the whole day. We talk about every aspect of all of our services. But then at the end, here's two things that we do. I sit there and I tell our staff, hey, what happened in your week? What did God do? How are you helping people follow Jesus? What happened this week? Share it around the circle. And so we share around this circle. And sometimes we get one, sometimes we get two. Sometimes I sit there and I go, okay, guys, what are we doing here? Because if we don't do it, how are our people going to do it? And then at the end, we pray. We pray specifically for our church. And so for some of you, the question for you is, are you on mission? If you're a part of this church, are you on mission? Do you actually think like Paul wants you to think? Starting in a couple of weeks, we have a neighborhood group season. If you're new to our church, here's what they are. There are a bunch of groups all around the Grand Strand, and their purpose is very simple. It's that you as a member of our church, you've got influence, you have neighbors, you have friends that don't have a church. I'm not talking about going and stealing people from other churches. I don't want to do that. God bless them. They have a church. They have Jesus. I'm talking about the people, the many people who don't go to church because none of the church members actually think of them and say, would you go to church with me today? And in our neighborhood groups, they're designed so that you look at your neighborhood and say, you know, I got three friends that are awesome and they don't have a church. They never think about church. You know what? I'm going to connect with my group and I'm going to invite these three individuals to come and connect together so that we can grow together. And so the question for you, are you signed up for a neighborhood group? Are you actually thinking of others, not about yourself and your schedule? But are you actually thinking of how you can pour into others so that they can grow in their relationship with God? That's just one way for you to be the church. Let me continue on. Here is my advice. I love Paul. It'd be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Paul says to you, you know all those dreams, those aspirations, you know when you feel that God is saying you need to do more, that you need to step up, that you need to be a part of this, that you need to gather together, finish 
The eagerness you started with that, you should match it with your proportion to say, today's the day that I am going to finish. If you're not a Christian in this room, it applies to you. In your faith, are you going to finish? I close with a a story that happened two weeks ago, and I was going to share this story last week. But I remembered my agreement with my family that I wouldn't share a story unless I got their permission. So I got permission, so I'll share the story. Last week, or a couple weeks ago, I was on a ski trip, a vacation with our family, and my son Connor is 10 years old, and he has uh, skied the last couple of years, and he's learned how to ski blues and blacks. If you don't know anything about skiing, you have green, which is easy, beginner. Um, and that's not where I started. I started in that little bunny hill, which I thought was a black at the time. But no, it's a, a green. Then you have blues, which is more difficult. Then you have blacks, which is for expert and extreme skiers. So all of a sudden, Connor, he's, he's skiing blues, and he is, I would say blues. He's at a blue level. And we all start out, and I'm in the back, And I have a friend leading in the front and Connor's second. And my greatest fear for Connor was kids, they don't know how much trees hurt. And so my greatest fear is that Connor would just be oblivious and not realize the dangers and ski too fast and get out of control and hurt himself. And so trying to talk to him and it just didn't, you know, with a 10 year old, it's hard. And so all of a sudden we're skiing there and and I say, all right, we're going to start with the green. It's early in the day. Let's start with the green. And so we have a friend leading us down a green we've done uh, the day before. And so Connor's like, yep, 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 yep. And so he follows. And all of a sudden I'm in the back and I'm watching. And all of a sudden Connor, instead of following the person in front to the green, he makes a hard right turn to an easy black run. But that easy black run had hills of snow called moguls. If you don't know what a mogul is, ski really fast and then come up to a bunch of hills of snow about four feet tall and try and get around those really fast. Death. Connor starts heading towards this black run. I see him and I start booking it as quick as I can. I tell the group, keep going to the green, I'm going to go after him. He's out of my view. I'm so far behind, he's out of my view. He was hightailing it. And so I start speeding down this mountain And I get all the way and it's steep. And then all of a sudden I come to the section where there's all these moguls. And so I see him in the middle of these moguls, frozen. And I ski around really quick and I stop and I look at his face. True story. And it was panic. Tears coming out of the sides of his eyes. Because he was alone for a good 45 seconds, which probably seemed like eternity. No one around, just him. So I ski up close to him. And I look into his eyes and I go, hey, buddy. And he goes, hey, dad. And I said, Connor, we're going to get through this. We went down the wrong run, huh? Yeah. And he's like, dad, I don't think I can do this. And I said, Connor, focus on me. I promise you, you can do this. I promise you, we will get down this together. If you just stay close to me, we will get down this mountain and you're going to be fine. Do you trust me? Yeah, dad. Took about 30 to 45 minutes and we took one mogul at a time and we got around it and we got all the way down to the bottom of the mountain. 
The whole group was down there worried about us. And they wanted to find, oh, Connor, are you okay? And, you know, a 10-year-old is like, I, you know, I'm okay, I'm okay. You know, he doesn't want to talk about it. And so I just tell everybody, yeah, we're good. What run are we going to go on next? I just wanted to get past it. The reason I tell you this story is at the end of our vacation, on the last run, he and I were together on a lift going up the mountain. We had a great time. And I look over at Connor and I said, Connor, I said, what was your favorite run of the week? Do you know what he said to me? He said, Dad, crazy horse. I said, crazy horse. Crazy horse was the run that he went down. And I said, Connor, why crazy horse? You were scared to death. And he says, it's because you and I did it together. Paul looks at the church and says, you can do incredible things, but if you try to do it on your own, you go this far. But if you stand together and you think outside yourself, you can finish and you can finish strong. Be the church and do incredible things. Would you pray with me? Father, I lift up this place and Lord, we want to see you move. God, more of you and less of us. May you take our preferences. May you take our personalities and may you gather them together for the glory that you give. I pray for every family. I pray that you give wisdom to every leader of every family that they would think outside of themselves and trust you. But God, most importantly, today, may we leave this place knowing that we can stand together and we can accomplish all that you have for us and we can finish because of who you are. So God, bless every family in here and may you receive the glory. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.